So with that, I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and open it with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 this morning, as we are going to stick with this uh, message called Building Blocks of Christlikeness. This is the second part of that. Uh, This morning, we're going to read from verses 14, 15, and 16. Actually, like I think I put it up there. If we have that text, Rick, uh, probably didn't get that there. So it's an entire passage. Nope. Okay. Well, if you have your Bible, just turn with me. We're going to actually read from verse 12 through uh, verse 16. And uh, whatever version you have, there we are. It's up there. And so I'll take the even number of verses. You take the odd number of verses, and we'll read... Verse 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word? Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 12, I'll read this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Shall we pray? Lord, we uh, just hear the heart of your servant Paul as he writes. We hear the Spirit of God echoing uh, these words. And as we are privileged this morning to have not only the written word, but the spoken word to us and to our hearts, we ask that you would Use this time in our lives to allow us to set every distraction aside, the things that would so easily beset us, that you would cause us to hear your voice speaking to each of us personally and to your church corporately, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So once again, the building blocks of Christlikeness <clears throat> in this second part, we're going to build on what we started with last week. In the previous study, if you missed that, you can go online, of course. We looked at uh, three building blocks for Christlikeness, which were others, humility, and obedience. In verses 1 through 13, the Apostle Paul clearly displayed Uh, what these building blocks were. And we went over them last week as we talked about others dealt with unity in Christ, a a constant consideration 
in our hearts to consider others. We looked at humility, of course, expressed through verses 5 through 8 in chapter 2, where Jesus himself expressed, uh, pictured, uh, ultimately embodiment of humility as he embraced his father's will for his life and then obedience to the will of God, to the will of his father, that obedience even unto the point of death upon the cross. And we closed last week as we looked at such awesome uh, building blocks like that. Well, how is that possible? How in, in my heart can I have a constant consideration of others? How in my heart can I endeavor to walk in that kind of humility? How in my heart and in my life can I seek to be obedient even to the, the death of my carnal flesh that wants its way? And we resolved that it is God who works in us, working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This last couple of months, I've had the opportunity to uh, do a great deal of physical work and for someone who sits behind a desk quite often, this has been a real joy for me. Uh, of course, I'm thanking God for ibuprofen. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time sprucing up, navigating whatever words you might want to employ, our backyard. And it's just about there, most, mostly there. But I remember when the five yards of gravel were dumped on the outside of my cul-de-sac. And the cul-de-sac in which we live is, you know, just kind of classic mid-America. And I know, I just know, that my neighbors looked at that pile and said, hmm, I wonder how long that's going to stay there. Because there's just not, I mean, nobody puts stuff in front of their lawn, their yard, house very long. So I looked at that pile and I went, that means I'm going to be moving a lot of that. I remember hiring a guy, um, bless his heart, came and worked for a day with me. But, and then ultimately, a couple, three, four nights ago, a couple of my grandkids finished it off. But we got, you know, we moved four yards of gravel from one point to another in our backyard. And some of that gravel had to surround this, we, we put in a, a small little go to Lowe's by the plastic tub pond. Nothing too extravagant, except if you're me, it was very extravagant. And we put these building blocks around it. And I remember like they all have to lock into one another. You go this level and then you lock this next level and then the next level and put three high. And terrible illustration, but it's the best one I have this morning is that in this same way, the Christ-likeness of our lives are these building blocks. The foundation is Christ, none other. 
as God the Father works in us, as we willingly work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we recognize that never is there a a plus sign or you know a plus for good effort or something that that there's something that we did that really you know makes God the Father smile. Oh well, great job! You were yeah obedient to the. Or there was humility. No, if the Paul said it this way, I know that in me that that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. So. As the blocks get built, as we endeavor to have a constant consideration of others, as we endeavor to walk in humility, as we endeavor to say, yes, Lord, obedient, that when those things happen, it's Christ in us. That that is the reason that's taking place. And so this morning we're going to close out this little two-part thing with a few of these verses that I trust will put somewhat of a period or an exclamation point on this subject of the building blocks of Christ-likeness in our church and in our lives. So I draw your attention backwards with me to verse 14. We pick it up. And we have this very small verse, powerful nonetheless. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing. As we have said in our previous study, it was Epaphrodites that had brought um, this gift to Paul in their house arrest in Rome. And the gift was for the, the struggling church in Jerusalem and Paul would forward the gift, but as Epaphrodites came, he had come from Philippi. He was part of the Philippian church. No doubt that while he and the apostle were visiting, that some news surfaced that within that beloved congregation of believers, that there was a bit of disputing and complaining. Paul is going to, in his letter, write to them and tell them that this should end, of course, that they should be done with these things, but it's worth our while to unpack uh, these words a bit that we might understand how they apply in our lives. The first word there is the word complaining. It's found in the King James Version of the Bible as the word murmurings. Okay? So if you're taking note this morning, you want to put something in your Bible or a note uh, next to your Bible or something, complaining is the original word murmuring, and what it has to do with is the Greek translation translation of a word that means to mutter or to murmur and it is derived from the sound of doves cooing. Now to you and I this morning the sound of a dove cooing might be somewhat uh, attractive or gentle but not in that way is this word used because the word itself speaks um, 
against men and not God. The word itself is used. It means that this murmuring has risen, uh, but not to a loud, outspoken dissatisfaction, but rather an undertone. So the cooing is this constant undertone. And even though it hasn't risen to a point of loud dissension, there is dissatisfaction accompanied with it. So an undertone of dissatisfaction, not outspoken and pointed at men and women around them. The second word uh, of disputing has to do with a word that is used in, in discussion and debate, which that in itself is healthy, discussion and debate, but the origin of this word has attached with it uh, doubt and suspicion. So as they engage in conversation, discussion, and they begin to debate about what it is that they are undertoning and dissatisfied with, along with that discussion comes suspicion toward others and doubt about uh, the truth that others are saying. So to summarize what this verse is saying is that there are whispers and undertones of dissatisfaction that lead to discussion filled with suspicion and doubt spoken against brothers, sisters in the Lord. Wow. Let's talk about this for a minute. What value or good do we think that complaining and as we're given the word here, complaining and disputing, what value do we believe that ha- would have in the home place? Where, where there's, there's not an open discussion about this thing, it's just this undertone that I'm dissatisfied in the home. And then when there is a discussion about it, it, it becomes a debate, and in that debate there's not open honesty, but there's suspicion and doubt. How good do you think, do we think, as men and women that would call ourselves children of God this morning, how valuable, how good is that in the home place? Not good at all. Let's move it over into the workplace. An undertone, not an outspoken dispatch, just this kind of under, you know, gridlock, that once anything is spoken of, there's just doubt and suspicion toward the individuals that, that you're working for, that are working for you. How, how valuable is that in the workplace? Not valuable. And finally, let's move it where we are this morning, in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, where there's a, an undertone toward a brother or a sister by one or some, not an outspoken dissatisfaction, but but whenever talked about, it's just suspicion and doubt toward another 
individual in God. No wonder the apostle felt necessary to to address this. Not good at all. If any of you are Bible students, Bible studiers, one of the first rules in most Bible study, of course, when you come across a word is use your lexicon or today we have so many uh, digital devices and find out where that word first appears in scripture and then read through contextually how that word is applied in that passage in which it first appears. Now, interestingly enough, the word uh, complaining first appears in Exodus chapter 15. I'd like you to turn back there with me this morning for a bit. Hold your place in Philippians. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And as you are turning there, we will remind ourselves that what has happened is that the children of Israel, over half a million, have been miraculously delivered by the hand of God. Pharaoh sought to destroy them. Moses was called to lead them out of Egypt in a miraculous, stunning dividing of uh, the Red Sea. The people came across and in Pharaoh's uh, undecisive, instability of mind, after letting them go, decided no and sent his army to chase them. And the Egyptian army was swallowed up by the Red Sea as the people of God stood safely on the other side. And there was this song, song of praise. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you have you delivered us. And as any good leader, teacher would do, it's like, okay, boys and girls, let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the move, right? And so it's time for us to march. Let's go to our next stop. Now, they're on their way to uh, receive the law of God. They have not been given the law of God. They're going to Mount Sinai. I know it's it's Sunday school lesson, right? Many of you heard this in Sunday school. But one of the they're traveling for a while, traveling for a while, traveling for a while. And what happens when you travel for a while in the desert? You get thirsty. And they had children, they had animals, and as they came over this ridge, they saw in the distance something that that appeared to be a a pool of water. And the animals got scent of water and began to travel really fast. Of course, they're thirsty. All the people, it's water, it's water. And can you imagine half a million people? what, What began as a quick walk turned into a fast run. And the first one's there. You remember what happened? Sure you do. You remember your Sunday school story. They got to the pond, they fell, and they started to drink the water, drink the water. And immediately a cry went up. Bitter! It's bitter water! Undrinkable. I'm thirsty just talking about this. Sorry. It 
It's my allergy medicine dries me out. Seriously, the water could not be consumed that way. Bitter. The place was called Mara. Exodus 15, verse 24 says, And the people complained against Moses and said, What shall we drink? In other words, you brought us all this way. We're at this pond. We're at this pool. We're at the waters, and it's bitter. What shall we drink? Had they forgotten what had taken place in the Red Sea? Had they forgotten the plagues that God had brought them through? And so, as is normal in all of our lives, certainly in every leader, of course, Moses cried to the Lord. Remember what the Lord did? It's right there in verse 25. Notice. So he, Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he, notice the personal pronoun, capital H, he tested them. Beloved, there's a couple of things going on here. I mean, first of all, the miracle of a branch being thrown into water laced with uh, undrinkable chemicals because it sat in the desert. And that branch hitting that water and that water miraculously changing and everyone drinking and, and the animals drinking and they're all satisfied. But this is a foreshadow. Remember Jesus said, you do search the scriptures diligently for in them you think you have life, but they are which testify of me. This is none other than the tree upon which Christ was crucified, thrown into the bitter water of this life in which we live, and that cross makes this life sweet. Have you embraced the cross? If you have not, you will go through this life, Christian, constantly complaining. I shared this yesterday. I'll share it again because to me it's, it's kind of sweet. Years ago, we were on a missions trip to Mexico and, and we were uh, there to build a house. And there was a bunch of us in this crew that were going, and, and I was all excited to lead this trip. And we'd had several people who were very talented in building. And, and the ministry that we were going to go stay with, they would contact a very needy family that was living on the streets. And through relationship, they would fill out a form and then a, I think, 20 by 20 shack. We would call it a, a tough shed today. <laughs> 20 by 20 
house would be erected and they would ha- they'd be off of the streets. They'd be in a home. And so we get down there and we, you know, we'd buy materials and everything. And we got all these guys that, that there were many guys that knew how to build and had their belts and everything. I mean, there was no lack of leadership in how to throw a hammer together. But the problem was is that this guy was calling the shots. <laughs> and I don't know how to build a thing. And I'm saying, you know, we, we need to do this and we need to do that. And the other guys were like, yeah, but we could do it that way. We could do it this way. And I said, no, but we're going to do it. And finally, someone with the mind of God stepped up and said, wait a minute. Listen, I know he doesn't know how to build, but the main thing here is we just need to follow orders. And isn't that true of life? We just need to follow orders. The orders. Oh, plenty of ideas of how to live, how to go through life, but he has given us a clear, clear, step by step. I mean, the result was the house got built and and that submission to one another, that whole event became a, a beautiful, sweet thing. I mean, I... I sense we're listening this morning. You know, the cross makes this life, the challenges and hardships of this life sweet. Complaining is something that God is not unfamiliar with from his people. You want to turn the page? Chapter 16. Go to chapter 16, verse uh, 2 and 3. Verse 1. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, uh, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel, what's the word? Say it with me. Complain. Complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Not original, but certainly appropriate. Excuse me, did they forget that they were slaves? Did they forget how ill-treated they were? Did they forget that they were dying, forced to build without the material to build? Did they forget the heavy hand of oppression in their life? And so they're out on this journey, and Another little something goes wrong. Not little, I mean, it's food, but another thing goes wrong. And it's like, oh, that we could have just stayed, let's put it in our vernacular, unsaved. Have you ever thought this morning? Man, the minute I started this journey with Christ, things didn't necessarily get easier. Been walking this road with the Lord and and things get hard, maybe I'll just throw in the towel and and not deal with salvation. 
I know what that's like. That period of time where my oldest son dies, my first marriage fails, and I'm fairly new Christian, six, seven years old. I thought it was Jesus Christ and happily ever after. If you're learning that it's not, that's because God, in his mercy, knows that hardship is good for us. Notice verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may, what's the word? Test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God is familiar with our complaining. You remember in the parable of the landowner, there were those who came in early and got a wage, those who came in midday and got the same wage, and those who came in at the very end of the day and didn't work very long, and the landowner gave them equal wage. And the ones that came early complained against those who came late. Jesus, when he was telling this parable to his followers, he was likening the kingdom of heaven to that. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, he said, Is it not lawful for me? And he was speaking as the landowner, the sovereign God who is sovereign in every one of his children's lives, sovereign all over. He says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first shall be last. You know, you can't, I don't think we can address the building blocks of Christ-likeness in our lives without hitting this subject of complaining, being a reality. And certainly, I'll speak for myself, it can at times be an inclination and know that it's, it's to be done away with. Do we all know this morning what the uh, word antithesis means? What does the word antithesis mean? Thank you. Opposite. The antithesis of complaining would be being thankful. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. My prayer, of course, I came to these verses this week and was saying, you know, we can't just rush through this. They certainly uh, are 
connected to the other blocks we have dealt with. So as we, we talk about these four blocks, again, what are they? Others, humility, obedience, and an absence of complaining. Write that down. Others, humility, obedience, and an absence of complaining. Because now it's important that we turn back to Philippians and we look at what the goal of these building blocks in uh, the life of the child of God are. In other words, this was Paul's goal for the Philippians when Epaphrodites shared with him that there's this undertone and dissension. Here's the goal. Verse 15, chapter 2. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Boy, to even unpack that verse this morning. That you may become. So in its tense, it deals with how they are because he received Paul received word of what was going on. So the phrase that you may become is is imposing there's going to be a change. Blameless and harmless in its original language really means unmixed. In other words, the philosophies of the world, the the thinking processes of those who are not saved and not children of God, unmixed, so that there's a change in your life that you become unmixed with the world's thinking, and it says, children of God. Now here's a theological question for you this morning and me. I see that phrase, children of God, and I've always been wanting to ask you this question. You hear it in songs. You hear it plenty of places. Are, is every human being a child of God? Just think on that. He's got the whole world in his hands. So, question. Is every human being a child of God? Is is it possible that we would have some say yes and some say no? Okay. I'm going to give it the way I read it is that every human being has been created by God. But a human being only becomes a child of God once born into the family of God by faith in Christ. Okay, let's go back to the Old Testament where all the Old Testament saints, those who were not even of... Jewish background, but came to embrace Judaism and a faith in the one true God, Jehovah, were they children of God? The answer would be yes, because Christ went down and preached to the Old Testament saints, and those that carried that faith were then, graves were opened up and bodies on his resurrection, bodies went up, right? So just be clear that 
not every human being is a child of God. A child of God is one who has become born again by faith in that God. And this is who Paul is talking to, that you all may become blameless and harmless children of God, which you are because they have been born again, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse this phrase, interesting, crooked and perverse, to be crooked means to have turned from truth. Don't we live in a generation right now that is turning from truth? They would much rather believe a lie. And perverse, of course, means perverted. They pervert truth. They pervert the things that are natural in life to a perverted uh, place, so they they turn from truth, they pervert things in this generation, you, that you and I are to shine as lights. Now that word in its origin means, is used when it speaks of the heaven, heavenly bodies. You go out on a dark night and you look up get rid of some of the, the light pollution in the street. You look up and the heavens declare the glory of God. You can see stars shine. This is that same word that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, as you and I, as biblical Christians, that you and I, as God-seeking individuals in this turning from truth and perverting world, oh my goodness, Shine. How so? Others, humility, obedience, the absence of complaining. When an unbelieving world sees those characteristics in you, they're like, it stands out. And oftentimes you'll run into someone, God will bring someone across your path that will say, you are different. Why? What is it in your life that makes you so constantly concerned about others? What is it in your life that you walk humbly what is it in your life that I, I hear you talking about obeying God and I, I rarely, if ever, hear you complain about what's going on in the home or what's going on in the workplace or what's going on in church. You guys are really, really quiet this morning. It's a serious subject. We close with this. Verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. For many years I looked at that first phrase of verse 16 and holding fast the word of life and there are other places in the New Testament where holding fast 
is the kind of dialogue that talks about holding tightly. Interestingly enough, one great commentator shares with us that this phrase itself actually means offering. Holding fast the word of life. Offering the word of life. to those who see your life and want to know how that can take place in their life as well. So we offer salvation to the lost. We offer truth to those who are consumed by lie. We offer hope to those who are hopeless. We are to offer peace to a society that is nothing but given to war, socially, economically, verbally. And we offer love, the love of God, the love of God, which is an unconditional love. It's a love that is given without anything expected in return. The building blocks of Christ-likeness so that our lives shine in a dark world. And when we offer who it is that causes our lives to be that way, we may find someone saying, I want him. Powerful stuff, good stuff, meat for our soul, food for our spirit, a way to look at the scripture verse by verse and then say, Lord, here's my life. Have your way. If you're here this morning and these things speak to you, Maybe as we close, it's time for one of you to say, Lord, I, I haven't been thinking of others. Lord, I've been extremely proud. Lord, when it comes to the things I know you've commanded, well, I, I tend to pick and choose. And oftentimes I do find myself complaining. If any of that applies this morning, God wants you to surrender it. Give it over afresh. And walk out of here delivered in the same way that he is always able to deliver. Will you join me as we pray? to meet us at our point of need, knowing that you care for us and love us so much that 
You even, while we were yet sinners, died for us. Lord, to revisit these truths this morning is, I sense, meaningful. I sense uh, appropriate. That maybe there is a child of God here this morning that sees some of their self in these scriptures. Lord, you know every heart, you know each of our lives, and you know what we need. So we're asking you in these closing moments to have your way with us, with me. And if ever there was a time that we wanted you to change those things in us that we need changing, it's right now. It's this morning. It's this hour. It's this moment. And so we're going to worship, Lord, and as we are worshiping you, we ask you to do your work. Because you're the one, the only one that can do it. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now, whoever you are, wherever you are, maybe you're at home watching, maybe you're right here. If you want the Lord to work in a given way that we've talked about in these two weeks, you can stand and you can say, Lord, that's me. And right now I'm surrendering right to you if you that's you just right where you are just stand all you're doing is saying yes to God you're not asking people to look you're saying Lord I I see in myself those things that need to change and so Lord I'm asking you right now to do that that I can't do And God sees, God hears, He knows your heart, and He's going to change you as we worship. Amen and amen.